The Sundays following Easter always carry the same theme. The lessons are not always the same year to year, but the themes are clear. On the second Sunday of Easter, we hear the story commonly referred to as the story of Doubting Thomas, which contains the sentence after that encounter, Do you believe because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. The third Sunday of Easter is given over to encountering Christ in the breaking of bread. Various passages are used, but this year you'll recall last week we heard the story of the Emmaus encounter. Today, the fourth Sunday of Easter, is commonly referred to as Good Shepherd Sunday. Year by year, these themes recur, and it is no accident that they do. I have come to believe over the years that, in fact, they are put there to answer a question that is implied by Jesus' statement, do you believe because you have seen Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. The question being, how? How are we blessed, though we have not seen? These three themes of these three weeks following Easter, I believe, speak to three gifts that are given to us so that we might not only believe, but know the blessing of a true encounter with the risen Lord. First, we are given the scriptures. At the end of that passage about Thomas, John, the writer of the gospel, says many things Jesus did that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe, and believing may have eternal life. So we have the witness of Scripture that teaches us who Jesus really was and is, that we might know him and not some other, not some figment of our imagination. The second great gift to the church comes from Christ himself in the sacraments particularly baptism by which we are incorporated into his life and the Eucharist by which we are nurtured week by week in our life in him and grow more and more into his image and likeness. Which brings us to today's gift. And that is the gift of a well-ordered ministry that the sheep of God may have shepherds who can guide and lead and direct and help people along that pilgrimage. About 50 years ago, 1970, a book was published by a man named Philip Keller. The title of the book was a shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm. 
he should know what he was talking about because he grew up in East Africa where shepherding was a way of life. And he himself, for a number of years, made his living by raising sheep. He took the lessons that he learned and he put them into this book. And it is highly detailed, even though it's not thick. But every phrase of the 23rd Psalm has its own chapter within this book. One of the things that he points out is that the image of sheep and shepherding is very apt for our relationship in Christ. On the one side, it's because sheep are so much like us human beings. Listen to what he says early on in the book. It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways, as will be seen in further chapters. Our mass mind, our mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. But on the other side, on the shepherding side, it is apt as well because the way in which shepherds need to be with their sheep is so like the way that Christ is to us. What is meant by that is that the shepherd cannot just act like a rancher raising cattle. A shepherd needs to be able to know his sheep. He needs to be able to build a relationship with them so that there is a level of trust so that the sheep will follow where he leads. One of the chapters is on, he um, leads, um, causes me to lay down in green pastures. And he points out that sheep need four conditions before they will think about lying down in the pasture, all of which have to do with trust, having nothing to fear, uh, being well-fed, uh, various conditions, as I say, that have to be met that the shepherd needs to make sure are there if the sheep are going to even lie down and rest. In many ways, shepherding is incarnational in the sense that the shepherd must live with his sheep. He must understand them. He must build that kind of intimate relationship. In every way, the shepherd image points to Jesus Christ. From the time of King David who was known as the shepherd king, the leaders of Israel were known as shepherds. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. There are many passages in the Old Testament where the shepherds are warned uh, about their lack of faithfulness and the way in which they have led God's people astray. But many, many centuries later, 
Jesus returns to the concept and he says, I am the good shepherd. He is the one who is even willing to go so far as to lay down his life for us. There is no greater blessing than to know that the Lord is my shepherd. And one of the ways in which that is experienced in the life of the faith community is by godly shepherds who shepherd in the name of the good shepherd and then teach all God's people how to shepherd one another in the name of Christ. Recently, I read a book by Roland Allen. Roland Allen was um, a rather famous uh, missionary of the early 20th century. He was an Anglican and uh, wrote many books, but one of the books that he wrote had to do with um, the missionary techniques that Paul used because he realized that Paul was much more successful in his missionary ventures than the missionaries of the early 20th century were being. And he kind of did a personal study of Scripture to say, why would this be? What's the difference between the way we're doing it and the way Paul did it? And he came to the conclusion that Paul, though he never stayed anywhere except Corinth for more than six months, was able to establish church after church after church that lived on and thrived after his departure. He said in every place he would do three things. First, he would show people Christ through the scriptures, which of course at that point was just what we call the Old Testament. Secondly, he would instruct them in the administration of the sacraments, especially baptism and the Eucharist. And thirdly, he would appoint elders to carry on leadership after he left. And at that point, that's what he did. He would go on to the next place and start establishing a church there. It is as though having the scriptures, having the sacraments, having good leadership gives the church everything that it needs to be the church, to be the body of Christ. And the life of that body would be able to carry on. Now, to be sure, Paul stayed in touch with his churches, and sometimes, as we know from his epistles, um, he had to uh, correct their thinking. Um, but through it all, there is this sense that Paul had absolute trust that being the body of Christ people of God who were baptized and incorporated into that body of Christ would have the gift of the Holy Spirit and it was that Holy Spirit that would lead and guide them uh, into their future. 
that kind of uh, confidence in the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of the living Christ himself, gave people um, that blessing which Jesus promised to Thomas and the other apostles. Because you see, there is a fourth gift that Jesus has given, and that is the church itself. And as we are incorporated into that body of Christ, Christ with us, as he was with the apostles, becomes Christ in us, dwelling within us, growing within us, transforming us day by day into his image and likeness. This is the kind of church we find in Acts, in that little passage today, where people gathered with glad and generous hearts in one another's homes to break bread together and to experience the power and the reality of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, even though they had not seen, they believed and were blessed. And the more we realize that as members of the church ourselves, we are Christ's body and that Christ dwells in us and among us and that we are empowered and led by the Holy Spirit, we too will be blessed. We too will know the Lord Jesus Christ just as surely as those apostles who walked with him in his early life. Thanks be to God. Amen.